Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series with Pastor Keith Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, Pastor Keith Haney is Assistant to the President for Missions, Human Care, and Stewardship in the LCMS Iowa District West and author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America, Bible study from Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Haney, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Great to be with you on this great day the Lord has made. Amen. Thanks be to God. I'm thankful that we get to continue this series. Uh, This is uh, the fifth in the six-part series, and in the previous conversations, we gained some insights on the depth of the racial divides in our country, how Satan is the real enemy. We looked at a biblical definition of neighbor, and uh, we spent some time looking at our own shortcomings of uh, in how we fail to love our neighbor. And, and now we're going to dig deeper into session five, uh, looking at uh, how... Um, well, we're, we're going to take a look at uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17 today, uh, but let's let's talk about accusations um, and how we interact with one another. How do accusations affect divides between people? The problem with accusations are they're usually going to create more tension. Sometimes you're, you're reacting out of a sense of maybe hurt on your part or offense on your part. And so whatever you say when you accuse someone, uh, you're, you're really kind of doing what Satan does. Satan is great at accusing us of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and he does that so that it takes our focus and our eyes off of the cross and off of Jesus. He accuses us of being sinners. So he's saying to us when he says that, why would God love you? If, if you're a sinner, and you're not doing what God wants you to do, why would God care about you? He just kind of makes us on on the defense all the time. And so accusations put you on the defense trying to defend yourself or even question your own identity or who you are because of those accusations. Mm -hmm. What role, and this might be a huge question, what role does (laughs) mass media and social media have in uh, this, uh, this culture of accusation and fear and distrust? It makes some people who would not be as brave, brave, because you can hide behind a Twitter handle or a Facebook post. You don't ever have to interact with people once you drop that accusation on social media. And then it gets it goes viral really quickly because people who agree with whatever accusation you make will jump in and defend you. And it can quickly go from a conversation to a blast of just negativity. And so people just get so turned off by how social media can go from uh, becoming even a tool to bully people with. So you got very careful about social media. Mm -hmm. What does that do also to to the person being accused uh, when there's a keyboard warrior, quote unquote, um, that is accusing somebody? How how does that affect the the person or or the people being accused? Well, when it's happened to me, I try not to take it personally, but it's hard not to because you want to go back to that post and you want to keep reading it and just keep, you keep hurting yourself by going over and over and over again and all the comments that follow it. So you really have to be aware that those kind of comments and that kind of social media presence can really just 
wounds your spirit. It, it it depresses you. It makes you feel bad. It just ruins your day. And so that's really kind of think the intent of what people do. They really kind of put you on in a position spiritually where you're just not in a good place. You have to be very careful of that. And and I'm thinking in terms of specifically of accusations without uh, really going through the process of confronting a brother or sister out of love, if you have a, a concern for them, if you're, or if you uh, disagree with them, or if they've done something wrong, uh, there, I think there's a difference between how we confront someone out of love for them and love for our other neighbors too, who might be impacted by their behavior, um, versus just blatant blasting people on social media or even mainstream media and mass mm-hmm. media. Uh, I think we've seen in the last decade or so how mainstream media has changed, evolved to appeal to sensationalism and and, and polarizing its audience as well. Exactly, because that sells. So sensationalism sells. For somehow we lost the sight that news is what should be selling, <laughs> not sensationalism. And so we do that. And we do that even in our own lives. We, we like to get likes. So we do things on social media so people will like us, which is a really sad, sick way of kind of living your life to have to get constant approval by somebody else. Well, it's it's a form of idolatry, really. It really is. Yeah. So let's talk about protests. How have public protests made a difference in our past, both good and bad? Sure. There have been some some good examples of protests that have really led to change. The women's right to vote was a good protest where women were really trying to get their voices heard in the election process. There have been protests on March on Washington for the life movement happens every January where we're raising awareness of the importance of life in the womb. Uh, The civil rights movement was an era led by activism for equal rights of treatment of African-Americans in the United States. It was during this period where people rally for social, legal, and political and cultural changes and to end segregation. So those were times where you could see where people's voices were being used in a peaceful way to raise awareness of things in our country and our nation that were not healthy and not good. Now, there are some bad examples of protests, and I would kind of take a risk of saying the BLM movement right now is an example of maybe not a helpful protest because it really lacks the religious community being involved in this movement. It's been marked or in people's minds been marked by riots and by violence versus a nonviolent approach. And there's not a real clear message that they're trying to communicate. So this movement or this protest, these protests aren't one where you can say, okay, what exactly are they trying to say? So it's unclear. And so those kind of protests are not as effective when you're not sure what the message is. And when the feeling of the protest makes you kind of question the validity of the arguments, I would say. Mm-hmm. So accusations divide people. Protests are are hopefully in, in the, the good examples meant to help bring people together uh, on the same playing field so that we, we can move forward with uh, better relationships and, and better things in our, in our culture. How do these protests, these good examples of protests help move us toward that place where where we can have better conversations and uh, better dialogue with people? When those protests have a really compelling vision behind them, like the women's right to vote, 
you kind of go, you know, that's that's a good point. I, I can see why women should have a voice in government and have the right to vote. You can understand when people are talking in a peaceful way about trying to raise, raise awareness of, of when, when does life begin in the womb. And, and just having that conversation is an important part of whether the protest is going to be successful or not. You want people to have a point of view, to have conversation, have discussion, and be able to kind of say, yes, I agree with that, or I think this is where I disagree with that. So you really want to be able to create a time where the discussion is happening. Mm-hmm. So we've we've brought up reconciliation uh, before. How do how does do these protests and, and this uh, moving forward, how does that move us into a, a, a path toward reconciliation? Well, I think I should define reconciliation because I'm not sure everybody's on the same page with that. If you look at the biblical understanding of reconciliation, it's restoring uh, of a friendly relationship of, in a place of peace where before there was hostility and alienation. So if you put that in the context of us and, and, and our God, for example, we were enemies of God outside of our our conversion and, and baptism and new life in Christ. And, and Paul says it this way, for we were enemies, we were reconciled by, to God by the death of his son much more. Now we've been reconciled and shall be saved by his life from Romans 5. So the idea that we were now in conflict, we were aliens, we were hostile toward God, but now we become friends of God through our through our death and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in that same context of what's happening in our country, I think we're at a point where we have this hostility and this alienation in our relationships with other people. How do we create a sense of peace and friendly relationships is what our goal and reconciliation should be. So where does reconciliation begin? With God, it began with the cross. And so that, that faith in Jesus Christ is what began their reconciliation. I think for us, we have to be, get to the point where we stop feeding into the hostility and the alienation and say, where can we find that place of peace? Where can we find that common agreement where we're not at war with each other, but we're living in a friendly relationship with each other? And that only happens through taking the time to make those connections real in our lives. And I think that's what's missing is how do we make those friendly connections? And I think, and I think we've talked about this before too, the role that emotions play in this too. When, when emotions are so strong, uh, we end up just shouting louder and louder mm-hmm. and forgetting to, to take the time to listen. Uh, we're more focused on what I'm feeling and being right um, or f- believing that my my position is right and yours is wrong, and in uh, forgetting that the the person that we oppose is a person for whom Christ died too. Exactly. Yeah. You want you want to get beyond the hostility, beyond that sense of alienation, and just say, okay, how can I step back, and how can I build this relationship based on peace and understanding. And I think if we start with the idea, my goal in the end is peace and being, you know, like as we talk about in, in scripture, you know, being the, the putting on the, the sandals of peace. If we are the, the peacemakers in this connection with other people, I think we begin to take down some of the walls that we build up and the alienation that we build up in our, our separation. 
We're in our series of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America, Bible study from Concordia Publishing House, the author, Pastor Keith Haney. We have more to talk about. We're going to get into the scriptures here in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our series. We're in the fifth of our six-part series with Pastor Keith Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America, a Bible study from Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Haney, in in the session, session five, uh, the session called What Can I Do? Is that right? I believe that's what it's called. Um, In session five, what can I do? Um, You take a look at John chapter 17. What does this text teach us specifically about Jesus? Before we even talk about us, what does it teach us about Jesus? Well, Jesus really talks about three key relationships in John 17. The relationship that he has with God, the Father, and the Son. The relationship that he has with his 12 disciples. And then he expands it to his relationship with the apostles to the Christians. So it's like you got that that beautiful Trinity view there of God the Father, God and the, uh, Jesus and the disciples and the apostles, and then Jesus telling tell the disciples now to go take that to the Christian world around you. What does our relationship uh, with Jesus have to do then with our relationship with our neighbor? Well, he makes a really uncomfortable connection in John chapter 17, because he says to us, you're not in the world to be kind of protected from the world, but I left you in the world so that you can make a difference in the world. And if you think about that, it's like, he could have just taken us all up and say, okay, this is too tough. Come up to heaven and just forget about all the stuff that's down here. But he says, no, no, I left you here so that you could be one as we were one, and then you can make a difference by the life you live in the world around you. So I like how somebody once said it, we should live such peculiar lives that people ask us about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And then we get as the believers to, to share that hope that we have, that joy that we have. He talks about joy also in John chapter 17, um, that we can share that joy with a world that if you look around you right now, that just doesn't have a lot of joy not a lot of happiness, not a lot of contentment. So, but we have the secrets to that joy and contentment in our faith in Christ Jesus. So we're called upon to be left in this world to share that with an unbelieving world. Mm-hmm. Are there some hard truths that we learn too uh, from this from this passage about what the life of a Christian is like in this world? Yeah, <laughs> he says, um, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that you may be joyful. I mean, 
I, I think it's so important for people to see Christians joyful because they don't understand us. And you can tell that by some of the pushback Christians get. It's like, how can you be you know, happy in this in this COVID situation? How can you be happy when a loved one just died? How can you be happy when your life's not perfect? And we, we respond back by, because none of those things are what define me. What define me, what give me joy is the fact that I have this beautiful connection with the Savior. And I'm content in that connection with Him. And we can help you understand what it means to not be satisfied with your circumstances, I mean, with your situation, but to be content in what God has blessed you with and the connection you have with God and with each other. Hmm. Jesus prays that uh, he talks about he and the Father being one and wanting uh, his disciples, his us, to be one as well with him. And uh, thanks be to God, we have that in him hadn't really thought about it so deeply from the perspective that you shared that um regardless of the chaos in this world and the the, the hurt that we are specifically here in the world he god could have chosen to to take us take the elect straight to heaven with him but left us here with the intention that that we would be his witnesses that we would uh, proclaim, and I mean, I've heard it in scripture, but to, for, for I guess for the light bulb to go on, um, or to, to look at it from that perspective, um, that that was helpful for me. And, and the other beautiful thing is, he says, "I have guarded them while he was here, but now I'm going up to heaven to be with you." So he's like, he tells the father, like kind of like a, I always picture like when I send my kids off to college, I can protect you as long as you were in my household. But now I can't anymore because I'm sending you off into the world. But he prays to the Father these amazing words, guard them, Father, because I can't anymore. And so to watch over them as as a dear father watches over his children. So it's like I'm leaving them in the world, but they're not alone. They're, they're in your precious hands, God. And so I want you to guard them. And that guard them means kind of watch over them like a, like a father, uh, a, a mother hen watches over her chicks is how this is described in the Greek. So there's this picture of, yeah, we're in this dangerous world and it may be difficult for us, but we're not abandoned, that the father is still there watching over us and guarding us in this whole journey with him as well. Yeah, thanks for painting that picture of sending my child off to college. I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> I've done it twice, so I know. <laughs> my, my son is still in elementary school, so um, I have that to look forward to someday, sending him off into the, the world outside of our, our house here. Um, and, and I think about the world, and it's, I'm certainly not very hopeful about the world. I am hopeful. Uh, I have hope in Jesus. But, you know, this world is is full of... Uh, so many confusing messages, so much, so many lies, um, sending him out into that world, um, you know, letting go of, uh, of the, the protective, um, vocation I'm given as father. Certainly he'll always be my son, but, um, being able to let go and let him go into that world that is constantly shouting all kinds of different messages, mostly just lies. Uh, what do we need to hear from God's word in the midst of all those messages? Um, what do you want your children to hear when they go off to college? What, uh, what 
what do we need to hear from God's word in the midst of all this chaos that the world is proclaiming to us? Sure. So we talked about a little earlier in this particular podcast about the need on social media to have likes and that the idolatry of that. But but Jesus warns us very clearly. He says, I've given them your word. The world will hate them because they are not of this world. You have to prepare ourselves and our and our children to understand that being a Christian is not going to be popular. <laughs> no matter how much you want people to like you and give you likes for your faith, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, that you're going to be hated by the world because they hated Jesus, because you represent something that they don't understand. You represent a savior that they don't understand. And so they will hate you because of your faith, but realize that you're not alone and that the father has wrapped his arms around you and he has sent you out into the world to make a difference in his name and that he will protect you in this journey. So we find hope in the fact that we are not abandoned in all of this. So stemming from this hope that we have in Christ and what we have uh, learned about in, in Scripture and the biblical definition of reconciliation, what are some practical tips to help us move toward reconciliation and to uh, learn more about our neighbors and how to love our neighbors? I think we, have, we as Americans have to realize that we all play a role as, believe, as believers in this racial divide. Sometimes our our role is we were silent, we were apathetic, we we throw into this situation the division because sometimes through our, our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our deeds. But as we look at how we move forward, Jesus reminds us that we need to focus on not on what's ripping us apart, but what unites us, what binds us together, and what binds us together is as believers. We have one Lord, we have one faith, and we have one baptism. And that's what unites us. And we can be the guiding force to an outside world by uniting them in the beauty of the body of Christ by sharing the gospel with them. And that's what we that's what we offer to the world. We can't maybe fix racial division, but we can fix the broken spirit by offering the message of hope and reconciliation by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we can offer people the gospel. And what changes hearts, and what that's what has to be changed in all this is hearts. What changes hearts is the power of the gospel. And so that's what, that's our gift to the world, I guess I would say. And, and I, I think about that, loving my neighbor, sharing the good news of Jesus with them, and I think about one of the, I think it's maybe one of Paul's epistles, uh, you know, stay well and warm fed, but not really, <laughs> not really loving my neighbor, you know, wishing them well, but not really taking the time to, uh, to get to know them in order to, uh, to share that good news with them. Um, this is more than just saying, uh, Jesus loves you. And now leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that word love is, we take love as this emotional thing. But if you look at the word love actually in the Bible, the one that Jesus refers to, it's not so much about an emotion as much as it's an action. And love is how we, I mean, I can love my neighbor because I can go rake my neighbor's leaves. That's love. And the Bible describes it because love is an action. It's, it's putting others above yourself. It's, it's thinking about other people's needs above my own. So that's, those were action things, not necessarily an emotional thing. And so I can love my neighbor without necessarily liking my neighbor. 
which maybe for some of us may be more easy for us to do. It's the actions that we do, not the emotions we feel toward our neighbor. Hmm. Well, what uh, we have just a, about a minute left here, Pastor. We're wrapping up session five, or part five in the six-part series. What are we looking to next time when we meet again? We're going to get into really some practical things that the church can do because people always ask, okay, this is great theory. This is great biblical teaching. I need some practical steps. What, what, what can I do? One, two, three, to really make a difference. And so chapter six ends with really practical things people can do in this whole racial divide. Pastor Keith Haney, author of One Nation Under God, Healing the Racial Divides in America, Bible study from Concordia Publishing House. He's also assistant to the President for Missions, Human Care, and Stewardship, LCMS Iowa District West. Pastor Haney, thanks so much for joining us today on The Coffee Hour. My pleasure. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere.